God provides for his people. God provides for his people in extraordinary and breathtaking ways. That is a basic summary, the gist of what Moses is saying in our first reading. He lists several of these wondrous uh, and miraculous ways, frankly, in which God has provided for his people. Do not forget, Moses said, the Lord your God brought you out of the land of Egypt, that place of slavery. Israel was freed from slavery, not by any effort of their own, but by the direct and dramatic intervention of the Almighty. And on more than one occasion, on several occasions, it culminates with the parting of the Red Seas. It is by passing through the waters of the Red Sea that Israel is definitively freed from Pharaoh's tyranny and slavery. Moses continues, It was the Lord who guided you through the vast and terrible desert with its seraph serpents and scorpions, its parched and waterless ground. God guides them through this desert wilderness. How is that providing for them? And caring for his people. Wouldn't it have been better, more providing and caring to just bring them straight into the promised land? No, because they weren't ready. Before they could enter the land flowing with milk and honey, the nation of Israel needed to be purified and prepared. They had been slaves in a pagan land for a long, long time. And this generation spent in the desert wilderness, it fortified Israel. So that the generation which entered the promised land was on the whole a godly and righteous generation. God provided for his people by uh, pruning and purifying them. But even in the midst of this vast and terrible desert wilderness, with its dangers and hardships galore, God miraculously provided the most basic necessities of life. The Lord brought forth water from the flinty rock and fed Israel in the desert with manna, a food unknown to their fathers. What is this manna? It was the miraculous bread that God rained down daily upon Israel during their 40 years in the desert wilderness. This is a vast nation, a nation that had been slaves, manual laborers. They are now in a hostile desert wilderness Left to their own devices, this has tragedy written all over it. But God provides for them, and he rains down this bread to feed the vast nation as they sojourn towards the promised land. Now, here is the point. Here is why we're reading about this on the Feast of Corpus Christi, where we celebrate the body and blood of Christ. God provided for his people in the Old Covenant, in the days of Moses and in the Exodus. And in so doing... He offers a template for how, in the new covenant and in his church, he will deal with his people. He will provide and care for his people. You know, God is the primary author of scripture. He's also the primary author of history. And so he alone is capable of writing a deeper meaning into the events of sacred scripture and into salvation history. And we see that with all these three or four ways Moses lists that God has provided for his people. Let's take an obvious example, the Red Sea. There is much more going on in the parting of the Red Sea than a tremendous miracle that frees God's people. 
For the parting of the Red Sea, the waters of the Red Sea, they foreshadow the new covenant sacrament of baptism. Just as Israel is freed from physical slavery to Pharaoh by the, passing through the waters of the Red Sea, so through the waters of baptism, we are freed from a, frankly, a far worse slavery. We often don't think of it that way, but it's true. The slavery to sin and death and the devil were freed by the waters of baptism. After passing through the water of the Red Sea, what's Israel's destination? It's the promised land. After we've passed through the waters of baptism, what is our destination? It is heaven, the true promised land. But after baptism, we don't necessarily go to heaven right away, just as Israel didn't go into the promised land right away. They spent a generation sojourning through this vast and terrible wilderness. And we, after baptism, we spend our life on this journey, this pilgrimage. And, you know, th look, this life is good. And there are a lot of good things in this life. But I think we would be lying if we said it never once feels like a vast and terrible wilderness. We do face dangers and hardships. We do face trials in this life. And when we do, we need to keep in mind that when God sends us across, he's providing and caring for us because he sends us the cross only that we might share in his resurrection because all things work for the good for those who love God. But then we see that God who fed Israel with this miraculous manna, this bread from heaven, so too does he feed us with the Eucharist the very body and blood of Jesus Christ, to supernaturally nourish our soul on our journeying towards the true promised land of heaven. Now, the first reading tells us that one of the reasons God sent the manna to the Israelites uh, was to teach them that not by bread alone does one live, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. And in the Eucharist, we receive, under the appearance of bread and wine, the word made flesh, the eternal word that is proceeded from the mouth of the eternal Father. The word of God that comes from the Father is given to us in the Eucharist to fill our souls with his eternal life. But of course, there's a big difference between the manna and the Eucharist. The manna, after all, was bread. It was supernatural bread. It was miraculously produced bread, but it was bread. The Eucharist looks like bread, tastes like bread, feels like bread, but after the consecration, it is not bread. The very substance of bread and wine is transformed into the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. Really, truly, substantially, body, blood, soul, and divinity, Jesus is present in the Eucharist. Where do we get such a, an, a bold and audacious claim? From the lips of Jesus himself, and we catch a glimpse of that in our gospel, which is taken from the tail end of his Bread of Life discourse, where he very explicitly teaches about the reality of the Eucharist, that his followers must eat his flesh and drink his blood to have the eternal life he wants us to possess. Now, just a few things, a few comments on this uh, gospel and just the Bread of Life discourse in general, uh, Bread of Life discourse in general. First, the listeners, the audience, they understood Jesus was speaking literally, right? How do we know this? Well, often Jesus would preach in parables. 
He would use figures of speech like saying things such as, I am the gate, right? In those instances, there was no controversy about what he was saying. There weren't people who confused his parables with uh, an accounting of, a, 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 of some event. There weren't people who literally thought he was the gate. And here, though, the audience picks up. He's speaking literally, right? This is why they react negatively. And we do see one instance of that. This happens multiple times. Why would they react negatively? Well, I mean, you could see why they would think this sounds like cannibalism, something which is uh, not just against Mosaic law. It, it, It just is instinctively repulsive to us and for good reason. But each time Jesus is given a chance to clarify what he means, to say, hey, relax, I'm speaking figuratively, he doesn't. And instead, he doubles down on the realism of what he's saying. And then finally, we don't catch this part in our gospel, but he loses a vast throng of disciples over this. He is willing to lose every single one of them. He turns to the apostles and says, will you also go? And Peter says to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to know and to believe that you are the Christ, the Holy One of God. Notice Peter doesn't say, uh, oh yes, I understand what you're saying. He's saying, it's as if he's saying, I don't get what you're saying, but I know who you are and I trust you, right? The Eucharist is the sacrament of Christ's abiding presence for us, the same Jesus who was born in Bethlehem, who died on the cross, who rose from the grave. It's really, truly, substantially present in the Eucharist. Is in the tabernacle now, will be in the altar in a matter of minutes. For those of us who come to receive communion, will... Uh, be present in us after we receive him. It's given to us to strengthen and nourish us. God gives us the Eucharist to provide for us, to spread a table for us in the desert of this life with all its difficulties, with all its hardships. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. So let us never take the Eucharist for granted. Let us never fall into a sleepwalking or routine Let us see the Eucharist as this tremendous gift of God's care for us to help us come to our true homeland of heaven and to become the saints he created us to be.